Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rounding the Earth podcast. Rounding the Earth is a multimedia education project based on the popular newsletter series published on Substack, written by applied statistician and educator Matthew Crawford. Topics of discussion range from critical analysis of conventional wisdom to why my skin is so red and everything in between, <laughs> in particular the ongoing pandemonium. Our goal is a careful examination of important topics and perspectives shaping the world that too few people talk about. Subscribe to Running the Earth on Substack, Rumble, and Locals to join a burgeoning research community and to help us unflatten the earth. I made a joke last time, shout out to our BitChute subscribers. It's because that's where the uh, challenges to the premise of our name tend to come from. Anyway, my name is Liam Sturgis. I am a musician, music producer, uh, and writer slash editor uh, coming at you live from the uh, rainy Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and I will be your host for today. Now, um, today we're doing a bit of a different format as far as roundtables go, but as always, I want to introduce my co-host for the podcast and the author of Rounding the Earth, Matthew Crawford. How are you, Matthew? Hey, Liam. I'm doing okay. Uh, uh, it's been a, a pretty exhausting few weeks, but um, uh, but I'm here. <laughs> Well, to be fair, when has it not been an exhausting few weeks over the last few years? And I would also expand that to throughout your entire life. When has it not been an exhausting few weeks? Um, there have been uh, there have been times when it was less exhausting than this, but uh, the the pandemonium has been uh, pretty uniquely exhausting. Fair enough. So um, the premise of today's show, I, I admit, uh, there's a couple things I want to say off the bat. I've only got a limited window into uh, the specifics of what we're going to talk about, um, as I'm sure most of the audience uh, will relate. You know, there's been some Twitter threads, there's been some higher profile, longer term discussions, um, and uh, everyone involved, I consider friends. Um, and I think a lot of people in the in in the audience will feel the same way. Like we've got people who uh, some of whom, sure, maybe there's some people with more obvious interests in putting things one way or the other. You know, business uh, interests, political we're interests. Be talking about people that you know. What's that? I don't think we're mostly going to be talking about, about people that you know. So that's perhaps reassuring. So uh, so that's what I want to say. Is I'm, I'm coming into this. I'm very interested in hearing your perspective in hashing out. Um, what's going on? I want to hear details, uh, I, I, to the extent that it's appropriate to share them. Um, and, uh, more than anything, like I put in the description, the focus in the end for all of us should be healthy solutions. So we're not here to gossip. We're not here to throw shade. Uh, you know, we're here to, we're here to, to figure some stuff out. Does that seem reasonable as a premise? Yeah, though, I, I think you may misunderstand where we're going with this conversation. Excellent. <laughs> then I'm learning too, guys. <laughs> so introduce uh, it to us then. What's going on? Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's a conversation about um, medical freedom movement. And I've said uh, a few things uh, that I want to expand into like a larger theoretical discussion uh, about how people should uh, should view each other in terms of good actors, bad actors, chaos agents, things like that. Um, and I want to start with a, a theoretical framework that I think is missing, and, but but is highly important. And I think it's missing because um, 
primarily because there aren't really Bitcoiners <laughs> in, in the medical freedom movement. Not, not so much, not at least up front. That sounds like a strange statement to make, but there, um, but specifically Bitcoiners have worked out the game theory of trust in a different way that everybody else has. And I, I'm going to start there actually. Um, uh, and and it, it, I'm sure a lot of people watching this will be wondering, what does Bitcoin have to do with with uh, whether or not there's controlled opposition in the medical freedom movement? Um, but it, it's it's pretty tight and, and uh, succinct once you hear it. Um, Bitcoiners refer to Bitcoin as money for enemies. And there's uh, a very specific reason behind that. I won't go into the full details, but what Bitcoin does that is unique is, is that it solves what's called the Byzantine generals problem. And this is how the Byzantine generals problem works. Let's say that me and you and two other generals are trying to take a city. Uh, maybe, maybe the four of us are trying to, um, we're trying to capture Omaha. Sure. And, and, you know, we've got knights on horseback and, and men with pikes and swords and, and whatever, but, uh, we're on four sides of, of the castle, uh, of Omaha and, um, and, but, and, and we need, uh, you know, couriers to take messages from one another. And the reason is, is because we don't know when the best time to attack is before we split up into four groups. Um, so we need to know that we are charging at the same time. If all four groups move simultaneously, we take Omaha. If we don't, if anybody stays behind, the defense will be too great and we will lose. We will lose our lives. Yeah. So it's a pretty important problem. Well, we can send couriers back and forth, right? And time things. But let's say that a uh, courier comes on horseback and brings you a message that says, uh, Matthew is going to charge the castle at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning. How do you trust that the message has high fidelity. So, you know, this, and, and this is the reason that cryptography was invented, uh, you know, historically was, uh, you know, being able to pass code back and forth between people so that they know that messages can be trusted. You know, uh, warfare often involved, you know, um, uh, killing the courier or, you know, capturing the courier and changing the message, all kinds of things like that. So cryptography was invented to prevent that. Well, it, it's even worse than that. You know, cryptography can be, um, you know, uh, uh, hacked at times. Um, the most modern forms basically can't. You know, once you get to elliptical, you know, cryptography, um, you, you have to hack on like a physical level, like keylog input, things like that. Um, but, you know, you, you want to be able to um, to orchestrate things and and know that your rider themselves, you know, the, the, the horseback rider themselves is on your team. You know, all these things you need to solve the trust problem. So Bitcoin solves the trust problem by having a distributed group of computers um, solve the problem for them using an algorithm that is known that is open source and public. So we, we don't really have that in real life, though. Right. We don't have like an independent group of people who are verifying messages, you know, um, away from the Battle of Omaha. Okay. Uh, so. So then what do you do? Um, so here, here's my my proposal, which is that um, most people in the medical freedom movement are viewing 
leaders in the medical freedom movement in the wrong way. Uh, all these leaders are being assumed to be good actors for the most part. Now, th that's not to say that everybody does. There are people who think that Malone is, uh, that Robert Malone is some sort of an agent of some kind. Uh, and, and, and that's fine. Uh, there are people who think that uh, Naomi Wolf is a plant because her husband is apparently friends with um, uh, the guy who started uh, Blackwater, the mercenary group, and has Eric um, Prince. Yeah, Eric Prince has um, has some uh, very interesting uh, political ties and and allies and whatnot. There are people who think that. Um, Trying to think of other names that are that uh, that I've heard conversation about. Uh, well, but, uh, anyway. you know, Steve Kirsch comes from a background that might suggest, you know, he, he's not nobody. Yeah, Steve Kirsch is somebody who was, uh, you know, present uh, in DARPA programs as a child, and there is question over what uh, whether or not uh, he actually invented the optical mouse, or whether that was some sort of like a, an initiation. Um, and uh, that's actually a story that I'd like to talk about tomorrow during our locals uh, Wednesday night chat, sure. because I'm going to I'm going to put all the information about that together. Um, so but, you know, one way or another, um, uh, Brett Weinstein, uh, uh, I, I guess, would be another potential example. And I'm mentioning him because I've actually been in a little bit of conversation with him lately. And oh, okay. and uh, and specifically uh, that conversation involves like um, a little bit of like, how do you trust? Uh, different actors. And like what I would say to Brett is um, he and I should not trust that each other are good actors. We sh the, the correct solution is that we should all assume that each other are bad actors. We should assume, um, and, and this sounds strange, like why assume? Why make an assumption, a presumption? Uh, and, and, and the reason is not because we think that it's true or accused necessarily. The reason to do so is so that you don't fail the Byzantine general's problem. Right? Um, okay, does that mean that you don't get to attack the city of Omaha together? Well, maybe that's true. But what you what you definitely avoid is making the mistake of attacking the city of Omaha together. Because mm -hmm. that's the critical mistake. That's the one that, that loses everyone's life. And, and here's why I bring this up. Um, you know, we, we are in a situation where, and, and, and this was something I, yeah, uh, when Brett and I first exchanged words maybe five years ago in a meeting that he held uh, with a group called the Coalition of the Reasonable, um, he was talking about collectivists. And I said, um, and I told him, I said, you know, there's an event coming and the collectivists are going to be wound up to come after us. And he, and he said, no. He shouted. <laughs> um, he startled everybody. I think in the meeting, um, he didn't. He didn't let me finish. Um, but he was. Uh, I, I guess. Uh, yeah. He had a, a pretty immediate knee jerk reaction to that suggestion. But I mean, when you think about it, getting collectivists riled up into mobs, it only has one purpose. That is the reason for their existence: is to come after the enemies of whoever's riling them up. Uh, low-level collectivists, at least high-level collectivists. You know, when you think about uh, the Stalins and Lenins and the Mao's of the world, or whatever, um, you know, those people are thinking strategically. You know, and they can state ideology, and you can't prove that they don't believe the ideology. Mm -hmm. But at the low level, at the low level, um, you know, the reason for their existence 
is to do what Mao wanted them to do, which was to murder people in the streets, literally murder people in the streets. So, <clears throat> you know, what my suggestion is um, that you don't, that you don't give trust to, to a few leaders, but, but what we have, we have a medical freedom movement with about a dozen 800 pound gorillas who monopolize the media. And this is really critical and it's very important. They monopolize the media. They collect information. They collect email lists. Um, you know, I, I know for a fact that Steve Kirsch is, um, that Steve Hirsch has a database of over a million emails, for instance. And, and those would be in, in from Substack primarily, I assume. Yes. Cause that's, that's part of what Substack allows you to do is control your mailing list, which is valuable, right? right. So he, you're saying he's taking advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know that the Roundtable Media Group has tens of millions of emails. Yeah. Um, the CEO of Roundtable Media uh, bragged that to me. Um, I know that uh, part of the dispute between him and Carolina Benita was that when the Global COVID Summit got started, somehow she got the early email list of people who were signing the statement uh, that I believe uh, was made in Rome. Um maybe late September, early October of, of 2021. Right. So, um, you know, whoever it is that Carolina Benita works for or with appears to have an email list of doctors and scientists who are signing that. Um, these are really critical and really important because, um, you know, like just like, you know, Mao's uh, 100 Flowers movement. You know, when Mao said, hey, anybody who has a problem with what's going on, write me. I want to know. And what he did was he used that to create an immediate um, enemies list. And then those people were hunted down. Right. And that's how the opposition was destroyed. It is a critical error. It is an existential error. Um, and I bring this up because I, I know that like in the in the Brett Weinstein community, uh, there's, there's a conversation going on, which I think goes in exactly the wrong direction. Um, and, it, and it's something that I have talked about which is something like a distributed leadership movement. I think that something like a distributed leadership moving, movement should happen, but it should not be something where there is any kind of required activity that that results in people outing who they are. Yeah. You know, that can't be the case. If you have a protocol um, of people's actions uh, that distinguishes them in any way, shape, or form, then they have identified themselves at the worst possible moment. And I do believe that we are facing some sort of an attempt at creating, um, you know, the, the communist threat on a level for the U.S. or globally or something like that. And I think people should think that way. People should be thinking existentially. Um, and, you know, one of the things that that really worries me, though, is that I've seen um, a lot of strange behavior within the medical freedom movement uh, of people in conflict that is not easily explainable except by um except by sort of i don't want to say orders but uh you know guidance uh, guidance um you know perhaps even a protocol but it might even be orders um that, that seems to be creating creating of conflict and uh, i do have one example um that you and i were talking about and this is why you may have been thinking we're going to talk mostly about people that you might know um yeah. uh there there's one there's a, a Twitter thread going on um, 
and it's between Kevin McKernan and myself. It's actually um, a guy named Grant Smith, uh, who uh, has been on uh, Rounding the Earth podcast. Um, good fellow, uh, military guy. Um, he was discussing JJ Cooey's um, uh, infectious clone theory on Twitter. And I haven't paid much attention to Twitter in a while, but uh, he tagged me. Um, he, he, and he asked me about my thoughts. And uh, Kevin McKernan was, you know, uh, giving reasons why he didn't think that um, that the infectious clone hypothesis uh, worked, but he wasn't really addressing the hypothesis. He he was addressing, um, you know, he either doesn't have it right, or he's inserting a straw man. Sure. And so, you know, I, I pointed out that that you know Kevin doesn't give any evidence that distinguishes between that hypothesis and, and his own. And, uh, and, and then, you know, Kevin starts coming back at me pretty hard, uh, pretty aggressively, pretty quickly. And, you know, I'm just like, you know, you know, hold up a little bit. Um, you know, I want to get some, some rest before answering this. And he's, and he's immediately just like, you know, uh, saying thing, oh gosh, I, maybe I should look to his actual words without, without saying, you know, maybe I should uh, share my screen. Yeah. Yeah. That could work. And, you know, to be clear, I have critiqued uh, Steve Kirsch pretty hard over the last few months. Um, and I do, I, <clears throat> I don't believe he's a good actor. I believe he's, he has uh, lied to me consistently and many times over the past, uh, you know, more than a year and a half that I've known him. And that, um, and that he was sort of running multiple groups without telling other people. And then I believe that he uh, lied to me about uh, who he was working with and communicating with. Um, and specifically, um, I'll go ahead and say this, there's a lot of background context, which is, you know, who is Steve Kirsch? Why would people want to follow him? He is a, you know, he was a Rockefeller Foundation guy, which puts him in the vicinity of people who are very specifically involved in having created the Plandemonium, right? Rockefeller um, Foundation, Rockefeller University has been involved in, um, in research and funding of research hmm. that would uh, that would be the technology that could be used for whether you believe it's a gain of function or whether you believe that it's like the creation of infectious clones or whatever, um, you know, involved specifically in those sorts of research and and possibly within well within a lot of the obfuscation of medicine um, that would be ordinary medicine to be used during the pandemic. Steve himself funded the first trials on hydroxychloroquine that occurred in the U.S. at the University of Minnesota that were billed as showing that hydroxychloroquine didn't work, even though there was a false placebo used. It was a folate. reactive placebo. Right. What's that? Was it folate or folic acid? Folate, that's right. Um, uh, the, um, the trials were stopped short, right? Uh, hydroxychloroquine was working better. And then they said, well, we just don't have time to recruit enough people. <laughs> Therefore it failed. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and he hasn't really done much to speak out about how awful these trials were. And in fact, the scientist who was speaking out about it, who took, um, uh, I can't remember if it was the, the Lancet or um, one of the other journals to the mat. Um, he hired that scientist who then stopped talking about it. Yeah, that's right. Originally, originally, I was going to launch this podcast. And this was before I knew you with uh, fireside chats with that scientist. But Steve hired him and he's he's 
stopped really talking. Um, then Steve ran fluvoxamine trials, which is interesting because the University of Minnesota is known for, um, you know, this sort, sort of the uh, the underground conversation would be they know how to falsify SSRI trials. Right. And so there, there's there's a bit that looks suspicious there. That's not that's not to say that there's you know bad actors involved, but um, co-funding. And, 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 sorry, just to, and just to provide context, most people will already be familiar with the number of conversations we've had and probably follow JJ Cooley and Mark Kulak, where some of these conversations have also happened. But fluvoxamine being an SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which is an antidepressant, much like Prozac, which is what we were talking about with Kim Wichtak a couple of weeks ago. So they, they, just to provide some clarity on, on what this drug is, what its context is. And, um, and uh, when, I, when I resigned from Steve's vaccine steering committee, uh, he created this story out of thin air um, to say that uh, Bulware, the, the trial researcher who ran the hydroxychloroquine trials, that he stopped communication with Bulware because Bulware insulted me. And it was the story that seemed to like gain sympathy, like, like, you know, like Matthew, I, I really like you, you know, I've defended you, which is nonsense because he, you know, he, he hung me out to dry on the DMED completely. Um, but you know, there's, there's a lot of other things that we could talk about, um, uh, things that he said or did dishonestly that kind of, you know, um, that were, that I view as attacks on me, um, that, that I think certainly are attacks on me. Um, but he, he is, you know, in my experience, he's very sneaky, but I have emails to show that his story wasn't true. And I, I was so stunned that I didn't explain it to his committee. Then I should have just stopped and said like, wow, like that, that's a story that, that, that's a fabrication. I, you know, I'm, I, and, uh, and I, I have email, like, uh, you know, I can say fabrication out loud because I have emails that, that show that that story is wrong. I actually, and, and just to be clear, I insulted bullware. <laughs> See, yeah. and this is long after these trials, you know, were, were pretty clear in our community to have been just sham trials. Um, the, you know, the, the, or, or at the very least the interpretation of them. Um, but you know, I, I think I think sham trials. Period. Uh, David Weissman's um, uh, and and five other people, like lots of different scientists, reevaluated these trials and said, "Hey, actually, even though you stopped early, these are statistics, and and you had a, a false placebo. These are pretty statistically significant results once you do the math correctly." You know, and 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 you know, like statistically significant, like that. That's a term that a lot of people uh, don't understand because they think that there's some sort of like magical algorithm for determining a p value. Uh, when the truth is, um, there are infinitely many ways you can frame the results of a trial, and it, it's entirely up to judgment. But it's clear that that like David Weissman's framing of the trial is simply more correct because he uses um, the actual um, known shipping time of medicine to people to determine the time of treatment. Okay. And and they had not done that in in the trial apparently, and they, and they uh, I believe they refused to share those notes with him, or or maybe they shared them with him, but only after like months and months of him prodding and poking or something like that. But uh, he he had actually just taken their own graph and like measured it out, uh, even though they didn't they didn't give him the numbers. So so weird stuff going on. Got it. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely weird stuff going on with that trial. Um, and and Steve could have at any moment in time just said, yeah, uh, I'm going to go on record saying that these trials were conducted poorly, but he just hadn't. Instead, you know, he emerged on the scene in 2021 talking about the vaccines. And, you know, what he could have done is, done is said, look, 
you know, take this away, take away the obvious late treatment WHO trials. The surgisphere fraud was, you know, everybody knows that was a fraud. You know, all, you know, with early treatment, everything, all, all that you have left is positive results, basically. I mean, you know, you have like, you know, they're like, uh, I think 10 studies that were specifically on immunocompromised people that suggest that early treatment might not work for them. Right. St a stacked deck. Okay. Um, but otherwise, otherwise, like all of the, the PEP prep early treatment trials, like almost all of them um, are positive, even if they didn't reach statistical significance individually. Uh, Harvard School of Public Medicine now agrees with me. So, um, so that's something. <laughs> that's something. That's something, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, uh, Steve is a person who was, you know, working with the Rockefeller Foundation and funding things that were, that were you know, absolutely, it, it, it looks on face like, hey, he's got a, he's got, you know, an organization that's trying to fund this stuff. But it, it's interesting that, that he would have known very, very early on that hydroxychloroquine was one of the first things that people would pull off the shelf to test. And he's never really made much of a statement about that, right? He's focused so much. And, and I, th I think that that it looks like when I step back and look, uh, and, and this, you know, when I first met him, this wasn't true. So I, I didn't have this view at the time. But when I step back and I, and I look at Steve, uh, his Substack um, appears to be to me the product of uh, multiple people. And I've been, by the way, I've been in his documents when multiple people were clearly typing into them at the same time. Ah, like draft oh. versions of, yeah, Google Docs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, but, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's sort of like saying over and over again, look, now I'm on your team. I'm the biggest anti-vaxxer in the world. And just, you know, vaccines are bad, vaccines are bad, vaccines are bad, vaccines are bad. How could you possibly doubt me if I'm saying vaccines are bad three times a day, right? Um, but this is this is somebody who is also building a, uh, a central bank digital currency. Yeah, um, that was his job going into the pandemic, and he says he was fired from that company. I I don't know if I believe that it happened the way that he says it happened, partially because at this point I don't believe almost anything that he says. Um, but uh, he started another cryptocurrency company in May of last year. And, and while I was, you know, doing work on other things, he would constantly call me and ask me like, you know, how would you build a stable current, stable coin? And I consulted for him, um, you know, briefly on cryptocurrency trading because I felt like, and, and I, you know, I had a conversation with him on the phone. It looks like you're doing dangerous things and let me help you understand why. Um, but he knows so little about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, trading, any of that, it, it's it's just sort of bizarre. And his desire to soak up $100 million from other people is so suspect that it really feels like just starving, you know, the medical freedom movement of cash. And it's felt more like that, I guess, after I've watched what's gone with the gone on with America's frontline doctors, which told people, hey, we want to build a new hospital system for you. Yeah, we want to get you out of this mess this way. So they collected something like $50 million and all the money's gone. Apparently, um, there's they had an internal audit where they said they had thirty million dollars missing. I've had people call me on the phone and say, "Hey, you know, um, this person in particular says that that Simone Gold went to him and asked him to launder money." <laughs> so, you know, I, I, hearing these from independent sources kind of um, you know makes you go, "Hmm, like is there is there a lot of leadership that we can't trust?" And I think I think that that people need to understand the game theory of the situation, which is we should not place our trust in 
in in centralized leaders. People should be should be thinking, okay, I'm looking for information. I'll take in information, but I don't want to give up much information at all, and I you know I, I don't want to act as a group. So that I, I'm giving some explanation about Steve simply because um, I have you know so much specific knowledge about him, and and uh, situations where where um, I, I can point to and say. I'm pretty sure that's just a fabrication off off the, the tip of his tongue. Um, but to, to finish explaining the, the day that I resigned from his vaccine steering committee, he said, um, he said, uh, oh, I, I, I stopped communication with Boyer because he insulted you. And this is a person I've seen like on the phone with his lawyers, like, you know, um, of course, I wanted you to call me back. That's why I called you effing idiot, you know, just like, stuff like that. You know, like he, he's, he's a person who insults people routinely, um, verbally assaults them, you know, Pretty ordinarily, he's also a person I've heard. Uh, he left his mic on during um, during uh, a conversation with him. Um, I heard him say that his kitten was a prop. That he bought a kitten to be a prop. Oh, I heard that out of his own mouth. Yeah, to be fair, it's a wonderful prop. You know, we've seen the episodes where there's four of us and each of our cats are running around in the background. So that's he's right. <laughs> So, and I'm sure he didn't know that I heard that. Um, but, you know, so in, in, in the steering committee meeting, he says, uh, he says that, that Bullware insulted me. So he cut ties with Bullware. But here's how, here's how things really happened. Um, he put me in a thread with Bullware, in an email thread. And I had been studying Bullware's research for, you know, over a year at this point. And I was just like, why would you even put me in a thread with this psychopath? And I had hit reply all and Bullware was in the, was in the uh, you know, the email, and 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 I'll I'll just be frank about it. I did that intentionally. I wanted David Bulware to know that I am I, I feel pretty secure that 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 man is uh, something grotesque. And uh, and David Bulware uh, said, <laughs> "This violates decorum," <laughs> and, and uh, you know, um, and and cut ties with Steve, but. Steve told me later, he said that he, that he had mended fences with Bulware, that he had talked, that he had called Bulware and, uh, and reestablished, uh, you know, got over that hump or whatever, because he wanted to work with Bulware again. So that is what he told me by phone. But in his vaccine steering committee meeting, um, he said they cut ties with Bulware because Bulware insulted me, though he didn't seem at all, uh, he didn't seem at all worried that I had insulted Bulware. He thought it was funny. <laughs> and other people and <laughs> I, guess I mean that, yeah it's speaking like this is a man who's not um weak like this is a man with uh with resource and power at, and there's something satisfying about yeah you know calling someone out if they're being one way or the other tell them they're being one way or the other so right. i can see that and so it is I, I i've gone after steve and i feel pretty justified in doing so and I have way more information than I've, than I've even presented because it would just take too long. I don't have the time to explain to people like, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he's lying about this. And this is why I'm pretty sure he's lying about this. And this is why um, I think that it's just a constant stream. I, I think he's he's making up an image as he goes. But the image has a very specific purpose. And it's to it's to be an attention magnet is what I believe uh, a lightning rod for attention. And my belief is, and, and this is this is the reason why we should think in terms of Byzantine generals. My personal belief, especially given that he was building a central bank digital currency company, he started building another cryptocurrency company. He's um, he was starting to he was talking about you know uh, raising a bunch of money for trading cryptocurrency. And, and let's remember, this is a guy who 
you know, had a bunch of money parked with FTX uh, or, or that was vulnerable to the FTX disaster. He he says that he lost millions in the FTX disaster. What mechanism? Um, I, I, I don't know the specifics. Well, there's a number that were hit. So it's right, right, exactly. But um, uh, so uh, but he, he started another cryptocurrency company in May, which is interesting that he hadn't even told me about. He didn't even tell me he was doing that. Um, but I believe that it is probably another central bank digital currency company. And I believe that he, he caught wind of conversation about RFK Jr.'s possible run and intentionally planned to get out in front of that, creating attention. Yeah. Because I believe that he wants to be attached and associated with RFK Jr. Uh, if and when RFK Jr. is elected. And I'll throw another piece of the conversation in here. I think that there is a reasonable hope that RFK Jr. is elected. And and I'll 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 be plain about this. I would lean toward voting for him. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly compared to what you know, uh the types Joe of Biden. People. Oh <laughs> god. Oh yeah. Um I, I'm neither a Republican nor a Democrat. Yeah. Um, I'll also mention this. I, I think that I have a, a, a more trust. I, I don't I don't know uh Bobby personally. Um He's one of the the several that I haven't talked to, um, but I actually met his cousin in New York uh, years ago when I was on Wall Street. Uh, Carolyn Bissett, and she she um, uh, she and JFK Jr. died in the plane crash the next year or like nine months after I I met her. Um, but I, I liked her. Uh, she was she was a very um, uh, she seemed like. Uh, somebody who was interested in getting other people involved, like almost like that was her persona as in uh, I met her, I met her because I was out. Um, uh, I was out on the town with the head of government bond trading from Goldman Sachs. And uh, it was, it was me, you know, Wall Street. <laughs> Wall Street. Yeah. So, it, you know, it was the two of us and five other traders and we we're walking into a bar restaurant where we we're going to sit down and have a few drinks together and, and you know, just, just talk, you know, uh, and she comes running across the street, you know, Chris, 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 and it turns out they dated in college. Okay. Um, and so, um, you know, like, and and she, you know, she's talking to him, and then she turns and realizes that, like, you know, uh, she had sort of interrupted, like, that we weren't all talking together because she had come, and 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 she she turns and like and and like asks each of us who we are, you know, and and brings us into the conversation that way, right? Like, yeah, like she she seemed like a like a, a positive, you know, leader. Uh, you know, caring about other people. So that, that's sort of, a, that's a moment in my life that, that, um, that made me, and, and you don't see a lot of people like that in New York. <laughs> New York is not the most empathetic uh, pool of people. Um, so, you know, it, it, and then, and then aside from that, you know, some of the people that I've talked to and work with the CHD I've liked. So, um, so there's that. So I, you know, I, I would cast a ballot for RFK Jr. Uh, at least, at least currently. Um, you know, that, that's my thought. But when I see the people who uh, it worries me, who might attach themselves to him, right? And when I think about Steve Kirsch, I think, oh, well, he would be, he would want for his central bank digital currency to be the one that gets used, right? That's a, that's a many billion dollar profit proposal, right? But, you know, why, why would I be thinking that way? Well, I know that specifically there's a lawyer out there, a former DOJ lawyer, uh, whom I've talked to personally on multiple occasions. He even asked me if I wanted to get involved in a lawsuit in in uh, 2020 
I actually met him back in 2020 when uh, I was being censored on Facebook and uh, I was running a, you know, early treatment group, um, uh, discussion group. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd been, I'd, I'd been very early in on these discussions, um, about what was going wrong, even though I wasn't really known as a public figure yet. Um, but, uh, so this lawyer, we, we had a discussion last year and he, and he explained to me, he admitted to me this plan of having just sort of a turnkey replacement of the highest you know, positions in the public health system. And he mentioned names to me, he mentioned, uh, Jay Bhattacharya. You know, he mentioned other names like, you know, this, um, he mentioned, uh, Peter McCullough and, um, and I, I'm, I'm not saying this name, like, you know, I, I, I don't want to necessarily refer to this. Like it's something nefarious, right? Um, Peter McCullough is somebody who I have uh, plenty of reasons to like. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm just pointing this out because I think that this is actually, you know, sort of an undercurrent of planning and that I think that the Malone McCullough feud, if you want to call it that now, they appear together many times in public, but there is, you know, you know Malone's feud with the Breggans. I think that that's actually a proxy for Malone's feud with McCullough, which is uh, when I say feud, it, it's, it's a rivalry. Uh, it seems to me. And I think that it does relate to how each of them might be elevated if we win this battle pushing back against medical authoritarianism. And when you begin to recognize the politics on this level, you begin to recognize that um, some people, and, you know, I, I, you know, Kirsch in particular was somebody who jumped into things, uh, you know, mid 2021, almost, you know, um, and, and he is the one who sort of brought uh, Robert Malone into, into public. Yes, he did. And when I look back at Steve's history, I see somebody who is, you know, associated with DARPA. Um, and I'll make this more clear tomorrow night in our locals chat. I believe that his story, I, I believe that he has a, a mythical origin story of having invented the optical mouse, uh, that it was um, conceived of other people prior to him uh, that were involved in, um, in a particular ARPA, uh, the predecessor for DARPA project, and that uh, he had uh, connections to those people you know, when he went to MIT. And, and so he has this sort of story while well, I was always inventing things. And, and so, you know, I just had this need for an optical mouse. Like it, it, his, his, his story doesn't really make much sense, but um, he, he specifically bragged at the time about having shown, uh, how, you know, about how uh, Douglas Engelbart, uh, who was the head of this um, Stanford Research Institute DARPA program about that guy liking his mouse. But that was the guy who created um, a lot of the internet technology. Right. So Steve, uh, you know, appears to have had connections with him. Uh, but, you know, Steve places himself as a child, I guess, uh, you know, when when sort of the Internet's being initially turned on, um, you know, amongst that group of people and amongst that group of people were people who had drawn out plans for optical mouse, but they were working for Xerox at the time. So they didn't pursue it um, or, or they they. they it's not they were working for Xerox, therefore they didn't pursue it. But, um, you know, they probably had other jobs and didn't have time to, like, you know, put together a prototype and, and you know, decide which version they were going to work, you know, use first. So um, it, it's it's sort of, it's a murky story in there uh, <laughs> uh, that, that doesn't quite make sense until you think of um, Steve Kirsch as an insider with, with DARPA and Stanford Research Institute. And I'll add to that, um, 
you know, I was involved as a child in a Stanford Research Institute project that mm -hmm. became part of the DOD and it gets labeled the remote viewing project. And people think that the remote viewing project was about studying paranormal activity. It was not. That's the surface level description that is uh, that is a fabrication in order to keep people from understanding what what they were really doing. But that project was more specifically about how it is you uh, mess with people's minds in order to get them to go along with your plans and believe you, uh, which is that you just state the same thing over and over again and lie so aggressively and so firmly that people have a hard time uh, imagining that you could do that. And that was literally part of what the program was about. Yeah. Um, and when I think about the fact that, um, you know, these, these DARPA technology programs and, and um, all th that these programs were coming out of the Stanford Research Institute at the same time in offices, you know, right down the hall from one another. Um, it, it's, the, the whole thing feels a little bit sketchy and everybody that I've, that I've sort of followed from those programs seems sketchy at the very least. So people should be asking, you know, uh, who these people are because the amount of power that each one of them can potentially wield is enormous. It is, it is so large that it could be catastrophic. Yeah. Well, and I think people uh, in other contexts are very aware, you know, there's not really such thing, for example, as a former intelligence agent. That's sort of a, a built-in fallacy. So the, the point being, it is relevant that Steve Kirsch was in the room with DARPA-funded engineers starting the internet. It is relevant that Robert Malone worked alongside, not for, but alongside, you know, military biodefense type agencies for his entire career until now. Those are, it, they don't necessarily then imply conclusions, but they are something that must be understood, you know, to frame who these people are compared to me or compared to anybody listening here. You know, our stories are all different. We've all got different backgrounds, but why is it that for for these people, it's somehow defamatory to point that out and say there's some unresolved questions here? If we are, you know, colleagues, or if we're in this fight together, or if you're saying one thing but it sort of is contradicted by this historical fact, that's sort of a, the point I think. And uh, just to insert here, Watcher B says, "Isn't Bitcoin the obvious choice for the CBDC? Why would Kirsch even imagine he can come up with a better one?" Now I think you can answer this pretty easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bitcoin is a decentralized uh, network, um, so it is the opposite of a centralized digital currency. Um, what a centralized digital currency would imply is that you have an organization that can you know, make decisions to censor people. They can shut down your bank account. They can ruin your life. Uh, they, they can, you know what, um, they can do what may have started World War E with Russia, which is cut you off from the rest of the world's financial networks, right? And this is the reason why it is that you, we have countries all over the world uh, forming this BRICS organization. And now China has organized Iran and Saudi Arabia to shake hands. Yeah, yeah. And and, and beginning on board with that, um, which is which is I, I'm gonna maybe I'll come back to that point because I actually I there's part of me that wonders if that's theater because I see World War E as actually a fight between people who believe that leadership should be passed down through bloodlines, and people who believe that leadership should be passed down through cultural attainment 
and display of leadership. That's the uh, that's the Shia Sunni uh, Shia Sunni split in Islam. But I believe that there is that there is a less overt split in every religion and set of institutions ultimately around the world. Um, so it, it's unclear to me, but it, it may be that um, that those uh, you know sort of enemies. I, I I don't want to use that word in in some sort of like a eternal mortal sense, but um, it, you know, if both of those groups of people are tired of the U.S. dollar, then, then uh, you know, it may simply be that they get over that feud for whatever period of time means getting over that hump. So, you know, central bank digital currency allows, uh, you know, central power. Bitcoin does not. The moment you have centralization of power, it loses its value because that's why people would be on that network to begin with. So if anybody ever had the majority of the power to where they could start censoring, well, the Bitcoin network would probably start to try to cut those parts of the network out. That would be the immediate counter, uh, you know, counter. Uh, so anyhow, one way or another, um, you know, it's just it's not going to be that way. Now, can I just point out because because there's the, the, the relationship, it's clear there are people who are attaching themselves to RFK for all sorts of reasons, uh, I, you know, from completely earnest and that he is a natural leader all the way to other more specific, precise political or financial or power. So to be clear, but I just want to point this out because you mentioned, you know, the notion that Kirsch could potentially be vying for the power play on the CBDC front. I just want to point this out in case you hadn't seen it. This is RFK a couple of days ago. The Fed just announced it will introduce its Fed now central bank digital currency in July. CBDC's Greece, the slippery slope to financial slavery and political tyranny so on and so forth. He goes on, the CBDC tied to digital ID and social credit score will allow the government to freeze your assets or limit your spending to approve vendors if you fail to comply with arbitrary dictats, uh, uh, dictats vaccine mandates, etc. Point is, to me, this is a pretty based position by RFK, and I thought this was a tremendous way for him to come out. Because it, it as someone who has also been thinking about Kirsch's relationship uh, knowing his background and then thinking about if he were to be put in charge of something in a Kennedy administration. Um, anyway, for this to be one of the first things he said sort of undercut the notion that Kirsch has that kind of influence and not just Kirsch, but anybody specifically vying for the CBDC control system. Possibly, I thought this was a good start. Um, you know, he mentions 1933 and a lot of the yeah. politicians in charge at the time, you know, said, oh, well, we, we're not going to take all your gold. And, and then they took all the gold. And then they took the gold, yeah. <laughs> right. And and and, let, and let's let's be reasonable. Um, you know, a president doesn't necessarily have full control over all of that, uh, in, in the sense that um, sometimes uh, uh, sometimes people in power are forced to make decisions uh, that they hold their nose to make. Sure. Um, but and, but the, the educational value, the fact that he's raising awareness. Well, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, mean, I like the statement a lot. I'm not. I'm yeah. not. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not arguing with him here at all. Um, right. I, I just want to point out to people that doesn't mean that other people can't twist his arm. Absolutely. Um, you know, and that's important to understand. And that, that you know, Steve uh, seems interested in going back to, hey, I'm going to, you know, I want to make a whole bunch of money with cryptocurrency over and over again, um, which, which it, it frightens it frightens the heck out of me. <laughs> um, because, I mean, just talking to him, he, he had so little understanding of cryptocurrency. Um, it was bizarre. It's also part of the reason why I, I don't believe that he invented the optical uh, mouse. Um, after having talked with him enough about math problem solving and other things, uh, I have seen 
there's nothing that I have seen that suggests that he was that level of whiz kid coming out of MIT with the confidence to take all of his money and, 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 you know, throw it into building this uh, optical mouse. Uh, um, I mean, like, yeah, and, and I'll, I'll talk about that. I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on this right now. It's it's almost just funny to me. Roundingtheearth.locals.com, our weekly supporters only sub, uh, live stream. <laughs> so, um, but uh, you know, right now, like I, I I'm in a Twitter thread that I got pulled into that that turned. Um, I, I've tried to keep it not ugly. I haven't. Uh, I feel like I haven't just like thrown. Um, insults. Yeah, I, I've called a couple of things nonsense because it felt like it veered in that level. Um, Do you want to share it on the screen? Yeah, I, I'm going to share this part on the screen because I think that that I, you know, Kevin, who had been a friend of mine, uh, who I'd been you know working with a lot over the past um, you know year year and a half ish. Um, you know, we we would uh, have phone calls and talk about you know genetics uh, variants, things like that, and you know it's reached a point where where you know i i think he is just outright lying about you know our conversations um in order to be able to like insult me or you know post stuff that that contradicts me i think that it's that it's knee-jerk contradiction which has has you know turned into the the worst possible like just uh, and i'll explain this this part of the tweet thread right here um you know i i, I pointed out that uh that he, he and I, uh, last year in January, uh, I got on the phone with him. In fact, I called a number of geneticists, but uh, Kev, because Kevin and I were in this, you know, Steve's steering committee together, um, you know, he's the one that I sort of mentioned publicly, uh, you know, and, and he, he helped me with some of the language and some of the computations. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about what those were specifically. But when I called him in January, um, he seemed not to believe that Omicron was just you know, sprouted due to selection pressure. Um, now, I, I, I don't remember how committal he was to to thinking that, but here, um, but but he he seemed to be on my side of that argument that it didn't look like it. Uh, and specifically, when I wrote the Omicron uh, uh, hypotheses articles, where I, I walked through all the reasons, um, you know, genetic reasons. Uh, uh, specifically, I said, look, Omicron could have been another part of the viral swarm that was in the background or, or a, you know, a strain competing within what we might think of. It, it might even be multiple swarms and we think of them all as coronavirus, yeah. but some of them come through, in, you know, at different times, whatever. Um, I, you know, and, and I didn't know, I, I don't have a full model of that. But when I, when I mentioned, I said, look, um, maybe the vaccines, if they're effective, I, I still don't think they're effective at all. So I, I don't favor this theory, but he helped me name this theory. I, for a little while, I thought, oh, you know, maybe they were just painting the target as in pushing away one strain. And then suddenly another one that was in the background has better chance to propagate and be numerous enough to be caught by PCR testing. And uh, when I mentioned this theory to him, he named it. Oh, he said, oh, like painting the target. And I was like, yeah, painting the target. And so he, he named that part of, you know, that branch of the Omicron hypothesis that Omicron may have already been there, but seemed to emerge because other strains got pushed away. Okay. And so we had that conversation in January and I bring this out here and he says, you know, and, and of course, you know, he says it, you know, in, in an insulting way, your poor note taking doesn't get to recraft history. 
and he links to an article, but I just want to point out this article is, um, is from September of 2021, the article that he points to. So it predates Omicron anyway. Right. Um, so I, you know, it's very weird to me that he's doing this. I don't understand why he's doing this, but I believe that it's because I've come out and, you know, I guess you could say I've attacked Kirsch and you know what I have, you know, I, I think, I, well, I think the man had attacked me numerous times, uh, in sneaky ways too. You know, just like I said, like the, the story that he created in front of his vaccine steering committee. And that, then that wasn't the only time, you know, that he just, you know, you know, said something in front of his committee that was just like, like, does nobody here know that that's just weirdly <laughs> pulled out of thin air? Um, but, you know, so so I just told him, you know, look, you know, we had this conversation in January of last year. I didn't say January, but um, that was when it happened. It was late January of last year. And then I called him again a few weeks later. Um, I, I think February, I'd have to look back at my notes. And I, I take notes on conversations. Right. I take lots of notes. I'm a note taker. Um, the, the second one I have very detailed notes for because he and I did computations. He started the computations. I finished them after we got off the phone, but we did most of them together. I said, hey, what is what is the, the weight of a single virion? And and, you know, how can we tell, you know, given uh, mutation frequencies and rates? And I, already, I, I basically had the problem framed, but I wanted to walk through it with him you know, with his guidance, because it's the type of thing that he has more practice with, right? But I had framed the problem already. And he he seemed in basic agreement with my framing. <clears throat> and, and you know, we, we seem to agree, um, you're not going to get an exact answer, but you can at least get something like, you know, a, a rough estimate. And, you know, who cares if it's off by, you know, some proportion of an order of magnitude or not, like, that's not the point. The point is, that given how far apart um, Omicron was evolutionarily from the rest of the, the branch, that it would take about 800 pounds of virions going through one person to get from Delta to Omicron, according to what, what were known as mutation frequencies and rates at the time. And you know, mutation frequency and rate aren't quite the same. Um, mutation rate is where you have frequency, but it's being guided by whatever the environmental forces are that that sculpt or the, the interplay between the, the, the virus and the environment, according to like whether or not like, you, know, you can have uh, single nucleotide polymorphisms or, or whatever forms of mutations happen, insertions, deletions, dilations, whatever. Um, but you also have like which ones of those survive. So you can have you can have mutations going on without shifting the genome potentially, right? But genomes do shift over time. So <clears throat> mutation uh, uh, frequency um, sort of gives like your your underlying minimum, you know, uh, a floor, uh, sorry, uh, a ceiling, uh, a ceiling on, on the mutation rate. Okay. Anyway, uh, I, I don't know how clearly I said that, but that's the point is that because I don't, that's not my profession, I don't go through that enough. Uh, you know, I, I called him and said, um, you know, uh, what's the weight, and you know, is this the way you would think about it? And he seemed in agreement with me. Now, I finished the computations off the phone, but I mentioned them to him in one of Steve's vaccine steering committee meetings as as I came up with eight hundred pounds, and I had computed that there would only be like two hundred pounds. I can't remember; I'd have to look back at my notes. It was either two hundred pounds of virions that exist in the whole world, or that ever existed if SARS-CoV-2 started, you know, when when we were told it was started in late twenty nineteen. Mm -hmm. 
So like, I don't know why it is that he would just, that he would now be saying that uh, he didn't believe that Omicron, uh, that, that he believes that Omicron was due to like selective pressures or something like that and would, and would, you know, push back at me this way. But um, like, like uh, other, like previously in the thread, what was going on and, and, and the reason we bring this up is because I, I believe this is, this is him defending Steve. And it's not the only time I've had a conflict over the past few days that seemed sort of out of thin air intended to aggravate, right? With, with really no reason behind it. Um, you know, most, if people look back at this thread, I'm um, happy for everybody to make their own judgment. Um, he was uh, attacking positions that weren't mine, right? Like straw manning positions about the infectious clone hypothesis. And I kept stopping and saying, this, this doesn't really have anything to do with the way that I see it. And I said, can you frame my argument? And other people jump in and say, yeah, that seems fair. I mean, that, that, that's, ordi that's ordinary, polite scientific discussion is, is um, you know, if we're debating between two hypotheses, let's frame them so that we know we're interacting. And nothing that he was saying was interacting, but he was being aggressive and even, you know, like your poor note taking, like he's slipping those things in. And at one point in the threads when I was just like, yeah, you know, I was explaining, I'd, I'd gotten up early out of bed to respond to some of these. I was like, you know, I'm, I've, I've been sick. I'm tired. I'm, I'm, you know, getting out of bed after two hours in order to read this. Cause he poked me like, like acting like I wasn't even going to like read the, the papers or the evidence or something like that. And I, I had no idea what he was talking about. It didn't interact with anything I've said or thought um, or, or, or the way that I view, you know, the, the infectious clone hypothesis. Very weird, very aggressive in my opinion, but this, this is where I think, it, what I think proves that he's targeting me with this aggression. He said, and he even said like, it's almost like, like projection or like, you know, uh, he, he said, you know, I, I have no ill, like I, I'm not, uh, I don't have any hostility toward Matthew. But it, it it certainly feels that way. But I feel like this this point in the conversation proves that it's just like knee jerk disagreement. Um, because, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the article is prior to Omicron, but he and I definitely had the conversations that I just explained. And we had discussion about them in, in Steve's vaccine steering committee. So whoever was there witnessed that. Um, I may have even referenced uh, Kevin in one of my Omicron hypothesis articles, you know, so it's, it's so long ago. I don't remember. I'd have to look it up and see. So, um, you know, it, it's very weird to me, but I, and the, and the reason I bring this up is not even specifically to focus on this one. <clears throat> this happened amongst multiple members of Steve's vaccine steering committee where they're, you know, like miscat, like in, in, uh, discussion groups or Twitter threads or whatever. Um, it feels like going out of their way to miscat to mischaracterize um, things that I've said, um, or or I, you know, I yeah, it, and and uh, I, attacks on me in, in what feels like a coordinated but you know sort of uh, elegantly understated way, but all right. at once. and and I got I got so much spam this weekend that I that I had to spend hours uh, going through and rearranging my email folders. And that, you know, all, all these things together sort of felt coordinated. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to put it at that, you know, people can decide, yeah. can decide what they want. Lots of nasty emails, um, but not, you know, not sent from people who could be identifiable. Uh, but, but the, the, 
this this and some of the other threads were definitely from people in the steve's orbit if not his steering committee yeah because uh the the premise of what you're saying i've i've watched myself so i i i understand and agree with your premise the hard part for me as as someone again this is what i why i started by saying i like everybody involved here so i'm coming at it from a perspective of um you know i'm not on anybody's team um so the thing that i try to reconcile is so what is it is it possible that this is instead of in the case of of, of kevin like we are dealing with some very nuanced discussions and a tweet i put out i tried to to say just generally Twitter as a communication mechanism is is not efficient. Uh, it's almost designed, if there's design here, it's to make it so that you can't properly express the nuances of tone or of, uh, you know, when you're making a slight joke versus a, right. a direct insult. Right. And I, I'm not defending it. And I want to insert this in there. I, I said, I think it would be better to have this conversation offline. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and there you go. And And so I think, to me, it's inevitable that there's an element of that here. Um, but I like I, I just I wonder, um, I think that's step one. That is step one is saying the floor is open to in, to a, like because we don't want to be gossiping. We want to be looking at, OK, what the heck's going on? So if you've said there is an open stage, you know, a forum or private um, to discuss this in more detail and try to figure it out. I think that's that's bang on. That's great. Because um, I just I, I, I want to not get stuck in uh, unresolved situations. like Right. This. And, like and there must be a resolution, even if it is to then no longer talk to someone that can be a resolution, too, if that's a choice. You know, there's a weird pull between public and private. There, there's there's uh, the desire for things to be transparent which is a desire for public, right? But if something reaches the point of being performative, like they're, they're like, I, I view this, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe I have a distortion of perception about the whole thing. Maybe Kevin has a distortion of perception about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it, it didn't feel like science as curiosity. It felt yeah. like a discussion of science as performative nonsense. And, you know, and that's part of the reason why I bring up the, the Stanford Research Institute because um, because of their weird uh, desire to research into sort of governance by mind control, right? Um, and you know that's <clears throat> I shouldn't say that's a known quantity, but I think that uh, that that if you know, and maybe one day I should do this uh, as an open discussion, like. Um, and I would like to, it just hadn't been, you know, there's just so much to talk about, but, but, uh, you know, explain to people that that's really what those programs were about. Hmm. So anyhow, um, yeah, it, it, it feels performative to me. And that that's, that's a reason to take something private is to cut off any, you know, human flawed desire to make something performative. If, if we have like a hook, or if we have a mistake in our reasoning that would keep us from, um, you know, pushing down a path too hard too quickly or something like that. Um, yeah, it, 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 yeah, absolutely. Um, 
yeah, uh, uh, you know, people people should. I I think Twitter is a is is a uh, strange strange tool. Um, uh, I, I, but I, I think that it is a strange tool because people do like to be performative on Twitter. Uh, it's part of the reason I hadn't been on it as much um, the past few weeks or, you know, um, I, you know, uh, I, I kind of go in cycles once every few months, I'll make a thread or some threads, but, um, you know, mostly just uh, tweeting out one thing here and there or using it to promote, you know, our discussions or something like that. Right. Right. <sighs> So, okay. I mean, it's, it's, we are reaching turning points. So zooming to the bigger picture, we have, um, what appears, so we have an interesting situation in the States. We also have sort of in a different sense in Canada and all over the world, various things are happening. Um, I mean, in the medical freedom context, Switzerland has now removed all recommendations for these specific products, uh, being labeled as vaccines. Um, we've got, um, uh, I think there's a lawsuit being brought in uh, maybe South Africa anyway, but then zooming into the American context, you have the US, uh, the 2024 election, the, the never ending election cycle, to be clear, but now the 2024 one coming up and you've got you've got likely um, Donald Trump as the Republican candidate who has softened on his vaccine promotion stance. Um, he's uh, possibly an ally to some in the medical freedom context. And then you've got RFK who, as, as I understand it is statistically like it's, it's not likely he will win the nomination, but the campaign itself is a tremendous opportunity and is a, is, is there's no reason to think it would not be a good thing. Um, so, so you have that going in the States and in Canada, we've got right now the national citizens inquiry, which is getting a lot of attention, which is also bringing in some interesting non-Canadian uh, people, specifically Dr. Robert Malone and Steve Kirsch, um, which I, I thought was interesting. I thought it was hey, interesting. Mark, can you repeat that? What is this? So then do you remember when we had our one week ago, our uh, open science discussion with Jessica and JJ and Jumi and um, we talked about Jessica, um, who's going to be presenting at this National Citizens Inquiry in a couple of days. Okay. You remember yeah, this? Yeah. yeah. So this event, this this series of of uh, um, of uh, testimony, it's it's a level up from the event that I participated in, a citizens hearing, just before we launched the podcast. Oh, and selected to speak at that. What's that? Steve is speaking at that. Steve has spoken, I believe. Oh, he and has. so is Dr. Malone. Okay. There and now there's uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm not directly involved uh, uh, with it. I don't know. Um, you know, you could see how they'd be I mean, they'd be default go-tos, I guess, if you're if you're just kind of thinking of lo loud, you know, large names, loud voices. Yeah. Um, interestingly, uh, just one quick sidebar on that. Uh, apart from the fact that they're they're not Canadian, they they haven't had any impact on the Canadian they're un they're not, not well, related. Steve just makes me cringe because I mean, like um, a lot of his stats that he posts, you know, uh, I will mention flaws in them in email threads, but he'll completely ignore them. Sure. Yeah. Right. And 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 not only that, but like I mean, he's a guy who like um, he's known for trying to like create these bets where he's talking with the people who are going to be judges to sort out to to know who's going to win ahead of time. Like he, he, you know, there's so much 
there's so much that's questionable about his behavior that it, it just feels weird that people let him come in to be a public figure. He, he inserted himself into things so late in the entire game that it, it's, I, he's I, a celebrity. I, say again. He's a celebrity. Yeah. Um, and, and I helped him become that, unfortunately. Uh, so, so there's that. And you could say similar things about the trajectory of, of Dr. Malone. And what's interesting. So if I ask you, um, what, what's the most reasonable or the, the most obvious reason why specifically Dr. Malone would have been invited to testify at this COVID specific event? Um, well, I, you know, his is more understandable. I mean, and, and I know they're like, whether or not people out there trust Steve Kirch or trust Robert Malone or don't. Right. Um, I mean, he's obviously been a scientist within the vaccine world for a very long time. Yeah. And, um, and his name is on, you know, the, the original uh, patents, uh, right. whether or not he was a lead. You know, you can debate that. Right. It makes a lot more sense. Right. I mean, like personally, I, I think that a lot of his views are flawed. Yeah. And, and I spoke with him at a hearing in which he said these vaccines are working as expected. Right. And that, that bothered me. It bothered me a lot. Um but, uh, you know, and, and there, there are a number of things that he's done and said that bother me a lot. But it, you know, like that at least makes sense. So you would assume then that his presentation would be on that subject matter? Oh, uh, no. It, did he go off into the uh, five generation warfare? So I haven't watched it. Oh, God. It's my understanding the majority of his presentation was about fifth generation warfare. Oh, God. And, and you know, I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm just going to say this out loud. I think that he started talking about it because I was talking about it. I think that was a direct, I think that, I think it's very clear. At least it looks that way to me uh, in terms of the timing of your articles, he points to them. And then the timing again of just when he then shifts his focus to that. Uh, if not, you may, you may not have been the sole source, but certainly you were a contributing factor. I, I believe, I believe. Yeah. And I was talking about it for months in yeah. private before I even before I ever said anything about it in an article. Um, you know that that was a conversation that I think that that I may have welled up. Um, you know, I, I've actually been talking about it since since 2020, actually, like right out of the gate. But it it took time. Like I always had other things that were more important to focus on. Um, but when I when I hear him talk about it, he sounds like somebody who's like getting updated on it, like as we speak, not somebody who has like some general like long-term sense, like having studied it. Now that said, that said, um, he, he is clearly around people. Like, I mean, he, he, he's told me that he, you know, uh, talks with friends and in intelligence. Um, he, he's mentioned publicly he talks with friends with intelligence and, and he has like, have you seen the strange music video where he's, he's in this video with somebody who's from, uh, uh, somebody who was trained at Fort Bragg in psychological warfare? No, I've only seen his most interesting man video. Okay. Okay. Maybe I'll play it tomorrow night. I, I have it, but um, I, I didn't like prepare to show it just now, but it's very weird. And, and this is another thing that people should know, like, you know, sort of the theme of this, what I came to talk about with you today was, you know, was why it is we should be careful putting too much trust centralized in one place. One of the things that Robert Malone's done recently that I really didn't like was in defending himself, he referred to, he said, this is not a million dollar substack or something like that. No, but it's close. And, and yeah, like I sat down with him, uh, uh, you know, over lunch in October. Uh, and he told me, he, he told me 
that uh, at that point in time, and it, you know, it was about nine months old, maybe his Substack was nine months old. That um, it was uh, fifty thousand dollars a month, or you know, about six hundred thousand. So it's probably not much below a million. Maybe it's eight hundred thousand. Who knows? Well, there's tax, but, and but, but like, like saying it like that, saying it like like it it it's not a bad living, <laughs> you know, like, and, and I'm not like, and like it, knowing that number, like I didn't like hear that number and think um, I'm going to point to that as something nefarious, but it bothered me to, to read him explain things that way. And it, and in fact, um, you know, I, I, I've had a, a bit of a shift. I, I, I basically just don't trust him at this point. Um, but the, it's a lot of factors that piled up. It also, I think it, it goes hand in hand with, with um you know me thinking through everything that i had observed with steve uh and the fact that steve brought him forth um i think that steve has unexplained connections with uh the military industrial complex that go back uh a, a pretty good ways and specifically you know the, you know his, and his explanation to me of of breaking with the rockefeller foundation just it seems so thin you know like he, he gives such thin answers to all of these things from the past um, that, that, you know, people should have questions or, or, you know, thought about or worried about with him. Yeah. But yeah, I, I yeah. <laughs> well, I kind of do. I know t the subject of tomorrow uh, is going to be more on this, but I do just want to share just, just one thing um, related to his foundation. If I can pull up the campfire wiki page here. You know, while you're doing that, I'm going to say this um, Robert and Robert Malone, um, and this is part of the reason why I wanted to bring up today. Robert Malone has this thing. He said, um, I, you know, people should just trust me. Right. You know, I, like he was arguing, like, I, I can't like, you know, give trust without receiving it or something like that, which is it's sort of nonsense. It makes no sense. He's somebody who um, has seemed to have stepped into the, I'm going to talk about Bitcoin a little bit. I'm going to talk about decentralization, you know, principles of decentralization, except that he doesn't seem to understand them at all. Right. The whole point of decentralization is 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 um, getting over what's called the prisoner's dilemma. The business mm -hmm. general's problem is just a specific version of the prisoner's dilemma. But the prisoner's dilemma is where you have, um, you know, uh, situations where you can't it, where it is rational in terms of getting the best outcome, not to trust somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And and to say you should just leap past all sorts of interaction and testing of trust. It's kind of like, you know, would you tell your child, sure, you can get back into the, the, the van or the ice cream truck? No, you tell your child to, to you know, be wary of strangers. Um, you, you don't you don't lead them into an existential crisis. But that's exactly what the Byzantine General's problem says. Mm -hmm. So it like, you know, he, he just clearly doesn't understand. And, and, and in some sense, that's fine. I've known that he didn't understand those principles for a long time because when when uh, I, I first started talking with Robert Malone, um, it, he came to some of Steve's vaccine steering committee meetings, and I I suggested when we were talking about how bad scientific publication was, I said, "Look, if you're," he said he was thinking of starting a journal. And I said, "Hey, by the way," uh, and this is my conversation with Kevin McKernan also yep. recently. I said, "Hey, by the way." Um, Maybe you should think I, it was before I knew Kevin was was doing anything. I said, you should think about doing something on the blockchain, you know, and I could walk through you uh, through with you. Uh, and you can see from my conversation with Kevin that I, I've thought through the economics of this for years, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, and 
Yeah, I, I said, hey, I could walk you through this. He just didn't respond to the email at all. Later, he got involved with uh, the people in Puerto Rico um, to create this decentralized medicine company. And like I looked at it and I knew it was going to fail instantly. And, you know, I, I, I said a couple things to a couple of people, you know, just to see. Like, I didn't want to, like, insert myself in and go, you guys are doing this all wrong. Right. But like I, I sent messages to several people just like, you know, I could sort this out for you. I could explain what's right, what's wrong, what, you know, what needs to be done. But they, they just completely, they, you know, they all just ignored me. Well, um, just, just while you brought up Roundtable, then I'm going to come back. Uh, you know what the name of that company is that, that you just mentioned that they started the, 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 the medical one? Yeah. They, well, they call it DMED for short. They call it DMED for short. Yep. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, so look, so first of all, just a couple things, actually, Janet Greeny on Rockfin gave us a $5 tip. Huge thanks, Janet. That's very nice of you. And you do that fairly often. Uh, and that is very much appreciated. Thank you. Um, and also uh, on, uh, on, on Rumble, Loopy says his argument with Robert Malone on the Dark Horse podcast seemed contrived to me. Dr. Malone's dispute with Peter Bregan and that lawsuit seems contrived to me. Hate to say it, but any dispute involving the public figures pushed to the forefront that seem like controlled opposition anti-vaxxers, it all seems contrived to me. I think the melodrama is to make it seem like they're all not working for the same people. Who pays Steve Kirsch to read his substack? Who would give money voluntarily to a millionaire? Um, yeah, um, I mean, you know what? I, 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 I'm actually going to take a moment to defend Steve like it, I, I don't believe that a millionaire necessarily should do his work for free, but I'll say this when Steve started doing that Substack, what he told me specifically was that he could use that money to fund trials and the vaccine safety research foundation. This is part of the reason why it just, it, it just absolutely infuriated me that his rationale for taking in a hundred million dollars of people's money at a moment like this, when the markets could very well crash, when there are lots of signals, right? The market crashes when the Fed stops raising interest rates historically. Yeah. And 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 Steve had had and I had advised Steve, you know, and, and was always willing to offer my opinions on these things, and he you know totally ignored me, um, and 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 it, and you know obtusely ignored me. Um, but I, I don't think that it's wrong for somebody who has a certain amount of money to charge for a service. Right. Whatever people can decide to pay if they think of it as funding his activities or funding other research. He's a guy who's poured millions of dollars into research. Right. Um, and and it may be that some of that is is not good money spent. It may be it may even be that some of it was intentionally not good money spent. But I can see the rationale. And, and I don't, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and like preach that, that people who have money shouldn't ever make money again, you know? Right. Um, so, but, but um, the fact of the matter is that, uh, that he's been weird and dodgy about it all. And, and, and so loans dispute with the Bregans. I've never talked to the Bregans. Uh, here's the way that I actually view the dispute with the Bregans is that the Bregans are a stand in for McCullough. And then in a sense, Malone is taking the shot at McCullough within that rivalry, but that the Bregans and Stu Peters, Stu Peters was easy to take a shot at. I mean, Stu Peters just seems like a walking target. Um, I, I, I don't know if there's any merit to the Malone suit. 
And actually, the, the one time I tried to, to talk with Robert about it, he was just sort of in a frenzy and just, blah, 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 of course it's true. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, you know, like privately, he's not, he's not, you know, the, as calm as you always see in person. Um, you know, I, I've had conversations with him where he was just, couldn't get him not to scream. Uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, well, at least one conversation, but um, I, I don't know if, I don't know if that's, contrived so much but as in like ill-advised it, it may be ill-advised like i don't i don't know if i think like the bregan's side of that dispute is contrived right so like uh, maybe, maybe that's what i what i want to say is i don't think that it's necessarily like a um an, an entire entirely theater right it may be contrived in the sense of of what he's uh, going after anyway anyway i don't know so yeah and i, I just know. one last thing um sorry what's that I said, I don't know the specifics of the suit well enough, so I'm sure. not going to comment more than that. Fair enough. Um, Gabe Gallon says, is it just me or is there a lot of memory holding of 2020? A lot of moves should be reexamined. And that um, is why we have the Campfire Wiki. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is exactly at least my mission statement. I and, and others have articulated it in a way that then led me to go, oh my God, you're totally right. This needs to be captured and and put in a way that's not, it's not revisionist. It's this what is what was said. So Looking as an example, I just want to show. So Steve, so he's got a foundation, the Stephen and Michelle Kirsch Foundation. Now, the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation is a subsidiary of the Stephen and Michelle Kirsch Foundation, as far as I can tell. So just to be clear, that's what this is. Um, and so just a quick skim, okay? Their areas of focus, they've been active for a long time. They clean up the air in California uh, eliminate nuclear weapons. They support Silicon Valley foundations. So, you know, there's some, you can see the crossover, of course, in interest with RFK. Um, so um, they've also engaged in extensive lobbying and advocacy activities. That's a direct quote uh, from, from their website. So um, it, it was, so they started in 99. And here's something that's interesting. I, I have started to look into the Silicon Valley Community Foundation. People need to understand that that is one of the groups that keeps popping up everywhere. They're like a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation type. So they apparently started right at the root uh, with the Silicon Valley Community Foundation back when it wasn't even, it, it was called something else. Two groups merged together, became Silicon Valley. So, um, and they've got a donor advised fund there. Um, now, uh, there's this one anecdote that I found. Um, in 1999, Steve and Michelle announced a, not a $1, a $1 million, that should say, emergency grant to United Way Silicon Valley. Steve then reached out to 65 of his wealthy colleagues, resulting in further donations from the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, eBay Foundation, Hewlett Packard Foundation, David and Lucille Packard Foundation. David Packard, I learned today, um, was the president of Stanford, um, in addition to being the Packard in Hewlett Packard. Um, Intel, Peninsula Community Foundation, and Health Trust. So this was an interesting anecdote that the idea was Steve emailed 65 of his closest, richest colleagues, including Gates. And I don't know if that means one of the Gateses themselves or if it's representatives from their foundations, but this is something they they, they have said is a, a crowning achievement. They helped save the United Way Silicon Valley. Good stuff. Um, other stuff, uh, uh, <clears throat> let's see. 
Um, and then there's, you mentioned, so the idea is Steve is not new to the pharmaceutical game. Okay. In 2000, they invested in a company called Targasome, a biopharmaceutical company engaged in the development of proprietary receptor targeted agents to treat and diagnose cancer and other diseases. Sounds familiar. The company initiated a project with Merck, which would have seen the companies co-develop a cancer treatment. Um, they published some stuff and then it unfortunately went under. Um, he's also, he had engaged in, in, in educational projects. Um, and, um, yeah. And so they've given grants to, uh, you know, a lot of interesting groups. Um, the Red Cross, the Aspen Institute is a think tank, Dana-Farber Cancer. Yeah, yeah, since humans cancer, I, I, I want to insert this in. Um, so my wife's a cancer researcher, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, she studies the P53 pathway, um, you know, bleeding edge stuff. Um, just because his response to me was so interesting. I, I, I brought this up with Steve multiple times. Um, you know, the first time I mentioned it to him, he didn't ask me about her work at all. And it was sort of interesting to me that, that I brought this up and he seen, and he had like zero interest. So I brought it up again and again and again, and never once, did he even ask me to explain the work she was doing or, or how it could apply to things? And, and I, I even, I even like, you know, specifically, you know, I, I would insert little things about it. Like, uh, Oh, you know, she's studying the, the three isoforms, which can turn off and on, uh, um, tumor suppression and, and like shows no interest whatsoever. So, you know, this is, this is over a year and a half, you know, we're, we're, you know, I, I met Steve almost two years or, you know, met, you know, uh, first by at Clubhouse, you know, my phone, by Zoom meetings, right. whatever, um, you know, almost two years ago. Not interested. And, and and recall, as far as I understand, and and I'm fairly certain he at one point himself was diagnosed with a form of cancer, and that's what led him to get into cancer research. So this is not an insignificant issue for him. So to your point. <laughs> um, and, and though I, I, I will say this, having, having um, you know, been around him at this point i'm not sure i trust any story that he tells about himself right right be skeptical that's the message and, and i just want to footch on rumble says i don't remember any memory holes i spend most of my days dragging the corpses caused by the pandemic of the unvaccinated from the streets to the graveyard <laughs> yeah something like that um we have to get my friend Futch on uh, as a guest soon. He is, uh, we'll talk about it later. He's he's a very multi-talented man. <laughs> so yeah, so have we, uh, so so I think, so I, we, we've talked about the, the situation with RFK. We've alluded to this kind of turning point. We're having a similar thing happen in Canada. There's a conservative power base that appears to be coming forward. Pierre Polyev is not what I thought he was, uh, in my opinion. Anyway, we're at this interesting phase in um in our journey i think is is there anything else uh that you wanted to talk about uh before simply reminding people to become members of our locals community so they can join us tomorrow for our supporters exclusive live stream though i have to say jj cooey is supposed to be presenting to the canadian covid care alliance so i will likely be going to that so we may just have to adjust time slightly just a heads up Oh, it, it, it that overlaps with our usual Wednesday night slot. It it always overlaps. I've just been coming to ours mostly. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you know what? Um, hmm. Well, we could talk. We can figure out what we. Here's, want a, here's a thought. Here's a thought. Um, what if we uh, could we live stream that? Not technically. No. It's it's member. It's a. It's also a private. Uh, you know, members only. Um, thing. 
Uh, uh, and I was talking with, I was, I was, um, I had asked uh, Jessica if I could live stream hers. I didn't know that JJ was speaking also. Well, it's not the NCI. That's a separate thing. Oh, um, sorry. Okay. But, uh, but, so this is just the weekly Canadian COVID Care Alliance member scientific roundtable. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. Okay. That's just like the FLCCC has. Yeah. Um, those are public, I think. Anyway. Um, but so, so but, uh, besides that, there will be a show tomorrow. It's just a matter of wh what time and what we're doing. But aside from getting people to go to roundingtheearth.locals.com, which I'll pull up and show, is there anything else you want to leave people with here? No, but um, I, I will say this. I think that some of the people who, um, who may be sort of behind the scenes, like nudged to, to nitpick at me, to go after me, to, you know, force me to have to defend something that, that is actually just a mischaracterization. Um, I would encourage those people to step back and think. Yeah. Um, because um, like you said, you, you like, uh, you know, and, and I've told you more than I explained publicly. I mentioned the one with um, Kevin McKernan only simply because um, the last, uh, the last part of the conversation seemed to go toward like him denying conversations that we had. Right. Um, or, or at least that, that would be my, my summary implication of it. Um, I, you know, there, there are other people that I think are being coaxed into that because I have taken opposition to Steve Kirsch, but I, I, I think I'm very justified. None, none of them have argued a single fact. None of them have, have called me to discuss it. Right. And, but I think that they are being nudged, um, you know, people whispering in people's ears, having private discussions. Uh, I would say they, that if they have problems with me, they should just call me. Uh, these are people that I've always been friendly with, um, but that they should consider whether or not they're being nudged into a group behavior and consider about where those pressures come from. And I know that there is, uh, you know, there's a lot of undiscussed money, uh, you know, both very specifically around Kirsch and business plans that, that are not public and, uh, and, and in the medical freedom community in general. But, it, you know, if that's your motivation, that's going to look so bad uh, if things uh, don't go the right way. Um, but is that really what you would want on your conscience for the rest of your life anyhow? Um, I, I think that it's, it's that important. Uh, so, you know, really step back and do a little thinking before continuing to come after me without discussing a single fact. Right. Um, just a couple last comments on Rumble. Gabe says, join the CCCA. I agree. Join the CCCA. It's a wonderful organization. Um, and then Metal as Fork says, as long as someone's there to challenge Cooey's claims. By the way, that part, the fact that Kevin or anybody is is challenging JJ is exactly the point. I think. I think that's what's that's good. That's good. You know, to hash this out. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it has to be with interaction. It has to be the actual claim, not a straw man. It has to be yeah. with interaction. Um, that's all. That's good. You know, we want that, right? If you're in science, um, you should be curious. You should be trying to falsify yeah. what you're doing, right? And right now, I lean toward JJ's hypothesis. I'm, you know. I think that there are multiple branching hypotheses that are not contradicted by any evidence. Yeah. We don't know if they're true, but we should be, we should be interacting and questioning and, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't appear adversarial. There shouldn't be, you know, you're just being a sociopath, you know, being casually tossed on Twitter and there shouldn't be, you know, denials of, of conversation and there should be clear interaction. That's it's, it's really not hard to do that. 
Um, but yes, yeah, we should be challenging JJ. I, I, I have, you know, um, well, you know, if I could poke at JJ a little bit, uh, I think that uh, people want him to define his, his hypothesis a little better and he doesn't do much writing. And so I'm going to poke at him about that and that would help interaction along. So, you know, anyhow, that, that's where I am. Yeah, but that's that is sharpening steel. What we're talking about here is sharpening steel. Um, Tonica in the chat in uh, on Rumble, uh, sorry, on locals. I think the folks who are trying to pull you away and distract you is, yeah, yeah. I think the folks who are trying to pull you away and distract you from important work. Every time you have to respond to a challenge, it takes you away from the fight. It, it you know, it does, but you know what? This one refocused me on something that is important that needed to be discussed. The, you know, these issues of, of how much trust people put in these leaders and, you know, whether or not that there has been proper vetting of, of who they are and what their motivations are, um, that, that needed to happen. So that's good. That's a good thing. Um, but yes, it is sometimes distracting and it can be. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. One last question because it's a really good one. Miss Weasel on Rumble says, what should I ask McCullough tomorrow? Small event. I should get to speak. Oh gosh, you know I haven't thought about. Uh, you know, my my, um, I, I haven't talked with Peter in a while, and I don't have that much of a relationship with him. I mean, like we've been in meetings and spoken um, together, um, but there wasn't need for much interaction because we were on the same page as far as like you know hydroxychloroquine was concerned. So um, I I haven't actually thought through myself what questions I would have for him. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> Well, Miss Weasel's on local, so you can always clarify. You can yeah, always yeah, clarify. I, I, yeah, I, I don't really have a good one for you. I'm sorry. On that note, roundingtheearth.locals.com. I've dropped the link in in every part of the chat. Um, uh, every part of the chat, every chat, no matter where you're watching, join us. We have wonderful weekly discussions. We're about to add a second uh, supporters only discussion. Um, I, uh, I, I love the kind of talks that we get into, uh, on locals, um, because it is very much an interactive community. That's the point. And if you scroll through, which I was doing before, you'll see, it's not just Matthew and I posting stuff. Um, you've got very, very intelligent people coming on and pointing stuff out and engaging in, uh, in, in their own perspective. And, uh, and it's, it's a very valuable place to be. So running uh -oh, here. Miss Weasel, ask McCullough about the uh, the bullwear trials. There you go, bullwear <laughs> trials. So that's the best way to support. And by the way, I just want to point this out also on Rumble now, as far as I understand. So they've introduced um, their own subscription feature, which I'm not necessarily saying you should subscribe to us on both locals and Rumble, but if you give a five dollar Rumble rant, I believe that then automatically makes you a supporter. You get a fun badge and then you don't have to continue, you know, every month if you don't want to, but 100% of the rumble rants for the rest of 2023 go directly to us, the creators. And uh, I, I believe that's the case. And then in 2024, they'll start taking their 20% cut again. But I, I think that's a cool thing. Rumble's done there. So if you do want to support the show, that's two ways to do it. Um, and of course you're still writing on Substack, so people can go to roundingtheearth.substack.com and, uh, and subscribe there. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts? Most, most of the content's free. Most of the yeah. content's free, but uh, I, I, I greatly appreciate the support. Uh, any, any final words to leave people with any non plug final words? <laughs> um, no, you know, uh, be discerning with your trust, be discerning. 
look for information more than you try to characterize people as uh, heroes or something like that. Like I, I, you know, I don't want, I wouldn't want anyone to characterize me as a hero simply because every human being is, can be compromised, right? There, there is some point in time in which uh, a parasocial relationship uh, is not something that you have as much control over once you give up your, your agency to, uh, to another person's mission, right? Don't give up agency on a parasocial level to any mission, to anyone ever. And that is the safest way to think. Just filter information, do it yourself. Um, you know, become more active in how it is you steer yourself with all of your own research. Um, don't think of, don't think of the information as the person. Very well said. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for uh, joining us everywhere. Thank you, Matthew, for a great talk. And, um, yeah, we will see you guys uh, tomorrow for that um, that Locals Supporters exclusive live stream. I may or may not be there. I may be watching JJ with the CCCA. Um, basically, a lot of fun stuff happening this week. So thank you all. Be well. And uh, we will see you on the, as the kids say, flippity flop. Mm -hmm.